Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So check it out. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, If you don't know what that means, it means a bunch of people in the New Testament got into a Honda because they were in one accord and they... That's the bad preacher joke on this, on this day. You've got to tell it every time, right? But this is the day that they got in the upper room and they were all together in unity and Holy Spirit came like fire. Now, uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to be speaking out of Acts, but I'm not going to be speaking out of Acts too. But just to catch you up with the situation, right? So they're all in the upper room, they're in unity, and Jesus promised that the comforter would come. He promised that this was happening. Whenever he left, he said, I have to go so the comforter can come. So the one that comes, and so what happened was, in that room, they were all infilled with the Holy Spirit. That's whenever they got the baptism of tongues, that's whenever the Holy Ghost came and dwelled within us. Before then, it was God would release the Spirit on the earth, it would be on a man, and then it would leave, and it would be released on a man, and it would leave. And so, Whenever we're in this place in Acts 2, they're in one accord, and the church begins. Now, Peter goes out, and he preaches a message, and one day, 5,000 people are converted. That's a pretty rad message. That's a pretty rad situation to find yourself in the middle of. So now, the church is growing. Not the church in a building, but the church as a people are growing. Okay, the believers in Christ are growing. And so in chapter five, what you're finding is you're finding some unique situations. Now in chapter four, the very end of it, what's going on there is it says, and the believers shared all that they had, even selling things and splitting up the money between them so none were lacking. Now you gotta feel that. I got something, you don't, so I'm gonna sell what I have and we are gonna share it together. I had a history professor one time, and he said that communism is a great idea, but it'll never work because people get greedy. And in chapter 5, we see that it doesn't take but a few verses for that to happen because the idea that I have and you have and we all have is a great idea, but it never works because some people work harder than other people. Some people have more than other people. And then whenever you start sharing, you start seeing somebody slack, and it starts getting on your nerves, and then you don't like that no more. And so here's a situation that where all the believers are sharing everything they have, their food, their homes, they're hanging out with each other, they're in each other's homes, breaking bread all the time. And they're doing this thing where if they have something in excess, they sell it and put it into the community. And then it's spread out. So in chapter five, uh, starting about verse one, right? You're seeing this, 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 uh, this story of them. But the first question I want to ask you today is, is Jesus Lord of your strength? Now we talk when, whenever uh, Pastor Rife has been speaking to you, he's basically been preaching to you the Shema. He's basically been preaching what Jesus answers whenever they say, what's the greatest commandment? He says that, you know, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your strength, right? And so when we read, uh, so going into this, the question is, is, is he the Lord of your strength? So in this story that I'm going to start in, and it's going to be Acts 5, starting in verse 1, if you want to follow with me, I'm just going to read this passage, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to kind of dissect it for you, okay? So just bear with me. Don't fall asleep in these 32 verses I'm about to read, and then we'll come back, and we'll, just, we'll, we'll take bite-sized pieces of it, okay? 
So uh, starting in verse 1, but a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. Okay, so he, he told his wife, hey, we're going to sell this piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, they kept back some of the proceeds and only brought part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what they're doing here is they're making an illusion here of, hey, we sold this property and, and we're bringing all the proceeds back into the house, okay? We're bringing uh, all these proceeds back into the body. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the, pre- the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. So he's putting on this false air. He's putting on this, this falsitude about the fact that, hey, I sold this land and I'm bringing it all to the church. I'm just giving it all to the church. In other words, he was trying to get some pop from the body. He was trying to get some applause from the body. He was trying to get some, oh, you're such a great guy, Ananias. Like, he was trying to get people to, like, give him something because his pride lacked something that he needed to get that from. And so he says, um... You did not lie to us, but God. Verse 5. Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. He fell down and died. One more time. He fell down and died because he lied. Okay, I just want to let that sink in. And great fear, imagine that, seized all who heard it. The young men came and wrapped up his body and then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Mm. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. And died. When the young men came in and found her dead, they so carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. I bet it did. Verse 12. How many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles? And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they were carried, at, they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order for Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. A great number of people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Separate thing, right? So first you have this issue of the deception. Next story, Peter's walking down the streets, and people are putting the sick out on the side of the streets, hoping that his shadow falls on them so so that they'll be cured, okay? Second part. Next little vignette here. Verse 17, then the high priest took action, and all uh, he and all those who were with him, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, go stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Okay? I'm going to stop there. That's verse 21. Going on through verse 32 just basically says 
they were brought before the, the, the priest. The priest told them to stop, and they said, we ain't going to. That's basically where the rest of that goes. So you have these three little vignettes, right? And my question is, is he the Lord of your strength? So in the first, whenever you look at strength in Scripture, that word is translated a lot of different ways, but a lot of times strength is, is an allocation to your financial or your resourceful strength. So in the Shema, in Luke 10 and Mark 12, it quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 and Leviticus 19, 18, okay? Hear o, Lord, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And then it says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with every fiber of your being and all your strength. And then it says... You know, and then, and then when Jesus is asked the question about the greatest commandment, so the first part is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, right? With all your strength. And then the second part is Leviticus nineteen eighteen, And do not take aught up against your neighbor. Do not seek to avenge wrongs, but to love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Levitical law, and he's quoting the Shema. So in this place of knowing what your strength is, you need to know that either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. He's either Lord of everything in your life or he's Lord of nothing. Because he won't have less than everything of you. And so in this place where you see Ananias and Sapphira and they are saying they're giving their all but they're withholding something, that's sin. In that place where they're saying, hey, we're presenting it as if we're giving you everything, but we're holding something back, that's not making him Lord of everything. Now, if they would have said, hey, we sold it for such and such, and we're giving a percentage of that, that's a totally different situation because they're not making it appear as they're giving everything. You see what I'm saying? I'd rather somebody come to me and say, hey, look, I know you're really wanting me to give my everything, but I've only got about 20%, and that's all I can give you right now. Okay, well, great, because that's everything of what you have to give. You see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, if you'll be honest with what the sacrifice actually is for you, that can be honored. But if you're not honest with what the sacrifice is, it's never honored. Either Lord of all or not Lord at all. So in other words, it depends on what your determination of all is. If, if everything you have to give right now is 20%, then give 20% and give it with a joyful heart. Don't give it begrudgingly. Don't give it, don't give it with, a, with, a, with a heart that says, I don't want to do this. Don't give it with a heart that says that, you know, I'm doing this because it's obligation. Do it because it's a desire inside of your heart to give it. And then whenever you say it and you say, this is my all, it's your all. You see what I'm saying? Because I see a lot of people who got Jesus as Savior down, but the reason why they can't get Jesus as Lord down is because they don't know how to define all in their life. Because we'll say we give all, but then we make excuses for everything. I'm giving you everything. Lord, I give you my heart. Well, except for this part. I give you my soul, except for this part. I live for you alone and hunting and football in the fall. Right? And we make sacrifices of things that matter for the things that are temporal that don't matter. People, people will sacrifice their families for things that are temporary pleasure. Things will, people will sacrifice that really important event of their kids so that they can work a little bit longer at a job that will replace you the instant that you die. I mean, I don't mean to beat y'all up this morning, but I did warn y'all in my previous two messages to wear some steel-toed shoes. 
And this is one of those messages that if you're gonna love him with all your strength, you gotta love him with all your resources. You've got to love him with all your resources. See, strength is the capacity of an object or substance to withstand a great force or pressure. Within us, strength comes from discipline and training. I'm gonna tell you a story and brag on my son just a little bit because a couple of years ago, he decided he was gonna start doing body weight training. In other words, he was going to start doing push-ups. He was going to start doing pull-ups. He was going to start doing this American Ninja Warrior stuff that I could never even imagine trying to do. And I've watched him going from being able to pull up one pull-up to now he's just kicking out power-ups. He can do different things. He can run miles. Like, the kid just decided he wanted to go run in Dolphin Island and wound up running 15 miles without thinking about it. Like, I would be thinking about that every single step saying, Lord Jesus, what have I done? Lord Jesus, what have I done? But what I'm saying is, is he decided to discipline and train his body, and he continues to do that. And I'm bragging on him, not because he's here, but because of the fact that I'm really proud that he's had the discipline to do something that I've never quite got to. And that, and, and that, that is an inner strength that comes into an outer strength. You see what I'm saying? And so whenever we, whenever we say we're gonna love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our strength, that means all of our everything. All of my strength is literally, if I go into a situation and my kid is pinned underneath a car, you better believe that I'm gonna use all of my strength that I have in my physical body to push that car off of them to the point where I will pop out joints, where I will tear muscles, I will do whatever it means to this flesh so that their flesh can be spared. Do you feel what I'm saying? But what if we actually love God that way? That God, I'm going to do whatever I need to do within this flesh, in this body, so that your body can move forward. I mean, that's the reason why we have such mad respect for martyrs, right? Because even unto death, they would lay it down. Even unto death. Even unto death, Peter was crucified upside down. His wife was crucified upside down because they didn't feel they were worthy to be crucified in the same way that Christ was crucified, even unto death. So you, you find this place that strength comes from discipline and training. Well, in, 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 in uh, well, I'm gonna have to jump here. In, in Corinthians, Paul's writing and he says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Y'all know what shadow boxing is? Shadow boxing is fighting yourself, right? He said, I'm running with a purpose. I'm not just like out here tending light. I discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. And then, so it's about a discipline, right? And what does Peter say to them? He says, why have you tested Holy Spirit? There's only one thing you're supposed to test Holy Spirit in. You go through scripture and you find me something else that it says that you're supposed to test him in. Because there's not. This is the only passage that it says, test, try the Lord in. And it says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? 
You have cheated me out of the tithes and offering due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there'll be plenty of food in my temple. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall off the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then if you go on to Malachi 3.16, It says, test me in these things, and surely I will open up the storehouses, the windows of heaven, and pour out blessings upon you. The only thing we're ever supposed to test him in is how much we can give. How much we can ridiculously, extravagantly, absurdly, without restraint, give. Not just your money, but your money's part of it. Your time your talents, your treasures. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard that, that you're supposed to give your time, your talent, and your treasures. Well, most of the time, we're so busy that we don't have the time. Most of the time, we're so undefined that we don't know what our talents are. And most of the time, we're so living in fear that we never give our treasures. But he's saying here, if you'll test me in these things, if you'll test me, your strength, because in these times, What was the strength of a man? Well, the strength of a man, a strength of a family was what they had. So if you looked at the cattle that they had, if you looked at the land that they have, if you looked at the servants they had, if you looked at the tents that they had, or if you looked at the homes that they had, that's what defined what their strength is. So if you're truly gonna love the Lord your God with all of your strength, then you need to realize that he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. In other words, you've got to realize that that check you get every week that you think you earn is actually his provision in your life. I was telling uh, Jackson this the other day because we were, we were having some father-son time on the river, and he said, Dad, what did you want to be when you grow up? Like, what did you want to be when you were little? And I said, well, I've already accomplished that. I said, Because like as an occupation, I wanted to be a computer programmer and I did that right out of the army and worked for some software companies and so check, that's done. I said, but the only thing I actually desired to be was a husband and father. Like, like that's the only thing I really wanted to be. And I'm not, that's, there's no shade there and there's no, that's not, there's not any kind of exaggeration. Growing up, the only thing I wanted to be was a dad to kids who loved me and I loved and a husband to a wife that I was going to be with forever. Because all around me was dysfunction. So the only thing I wanted to do was to provide my next generation with something that was solid and real. Because I had solid and real, but man, I had to work for it. Man, I had to seek it out and find it. And I never wanted them to have to do that. And so he was like literally laughing. He was like, Dad, the only thing I could ever think of that you wanted to be was like my dad and and mom's husband. And I said, well, you nailed it, brother. And it's about your motivation. See, in Acts 5, 1 through 11, we see a false motivation. Whereas in the fourth chapter of Acts, people are selling because they are genuinely trying to feed into the body and to support the body and to do, you know what I'm saying? In chapter 5, you see Ananias and Sapphira, they put on a false pretense so they could look like everybody else but not really have the sacrifice that everybody else had. 
And I think if we, if we find out what our motivation is, then we can find out where our strength. So first of all, he's gotta be the Lord of your motivation to be the Lord of your strength. You gotta make sure that you're being motivated by the right things and not the wrong things. So the next thing is, he's the Lord, is he the Lord of your more? Is he the Lord of your more? See, in, in, in uh, uh, chapter five, starting at 12, it says, many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. Many signs and wonders. See, salvation is just the beginning. There's more. Relationship is just the beginning. There's more. The, the infilling warm and fuzzies is just the beginning. There's more. There's signs. There's wonders. Because, see, that's what brings the awe of the Lord. That's what puts people in wonder is the signs, the miracles. But what are you expecting for? I, was, I, I got this word this morning, and I was like, you need to expect, you need to believe, and you need to receive. There is no ceiling or roof in this place right now. We are standing underneath third heaven. You need to understand that. Expect, receive, believe, and receive. In other words, I can't believe for what I don't expect. And I can't receive what I don't believe. It's not some great little, you know, alliteration here, receive, believe, and all that other stuff. You need to come in with a a spirit of expectancy on you. You need to say, God, I refuse to allow this situation to stay in my life, so I'm expecting you, Abba, Papa, Daddy, to do something for me as a child. I'm expecting it. I'm believing you that when you say you are who you are, that by your stripes I'm healed, I'm healed. See, if I gave David a check and I wrote, you know, a million dollars on it, I said, and it had my name at the top of it, it might be a little bit hard for him to believe that that check was going to cash with any kind of validity. Just saying. Don't believe that. And, but if he came into a place expecting that God was going to meet a need in his life, and then whenever he was presented with an opportunity that he believed then he could receive something. You see what I'm saying? Like you have to come into a place that if you have a need, you gotta expect that he's gonna provide it. And he can't be the God of the more if you're not coming in with an expectancy on you. He can't be the God of the more if you don't have come in with belief because see, the belief is what? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. See, we can't have things unless we come in believing for them and having faith. Without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Not hard, not difficult, not, well, you know, you're gonna have some, you're gonna, you're gonna have to really work for it. No, if you don't have faith, you can't do squat for God. Nothing. Because faith is the substance of the things that we hope for. Hope is the expectancy. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Okay. So he's the God of the more. Now, in Deuteronomy 6 and 4 through 9, the word for strength is actually meodi, the Hebrew word meodi. See, if you read it in the Greek and it refers to the Old Testament, you probably should go to the Old Testament and see what the original word is before the Greeks got a hold of it and translated it wrong. 
Because meodi is only in one of 300 instances in the Bible translated as strength. Every other time it's translated as very, muchness, the entirety. So in other words, like when Cain killed Abel, he was meodi angry. When the rains came, there were meodi high floods. Whenever something was great, it was meodi meodi wonderful. So what I'm trying to say is, is in this one instance, strength, the word meodi is translated to strength instead of very. Well, what does that mean? It means that I should love the Lord my God with my entirety, my abundance, my overflow, or my muchness. My muchness. In other words, I've got to believe that I operate in muchness. Well, what is muchness? That's such a weird word. That's your abundance. That's your overflow. See, I can't feed you out of my need. I got to feed you out of my overflow. Because if I feed you out of my need, now I start stealing away from myself. You, you feel what I'm saying here? And so it only is translated one time as strength. So here is Jesus talking in John 14. And he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Say greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So here, 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 here you are in this place, right? We can't even believe Jesus for the things that he did. So how are we gonna believe him for the greater works? Don't believe me? Let a blind guy come in here. Anybody gonna go spit in the mud and slap it on their eyes? Let a paralytic come in. We gonna say, your sins are forgiven, get up and take up your mat and walk? I mean, I'm just being real. And have faith that it's gonna happen. See, you gotta, once, once you understand that when they said the same power that rose Christ from the dead is in you, that same power is in you. I am the righteousness of God. I'm either the righteousness of God or I'm not. Period. There is no gray. I either obtain the righteousness of God or I don't have it. There is no in between. So I either have faith to speak to the paralytic and say your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and, and, and walk because the same things he did, I'll do because I'm never gonna get to the greater works if I don't get to the works he did. And some of us don't even have faith to get out of the bed to go to work. Some of us don't have the faith to speak to our coworkers. Some of us don't have the faith to speak into our situations. Some of us don't even have faith to speak into our kids' truth. Because we already think they've went too far down one way or the other and there's no way to right that ship. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if I want to be able to do the greater works, I got to start believing for what Jesus did. I mean, come on. When's the last time you've been at a picnic and they ran out of food and you said, hey, bring me some fish and some bread because I'm about to feed you jokers. What do you mean we ran out of fried chicken? Bring me that chicken breast. I'm about to show y'all something. Right? 
I ain't going to ask who's been to a party and got more wine because, but I'm not talking about going to the store. But what I'm trying to say is we've got to start believing for the things that Jesus did. And we got to start operating in that place because I'm telling you right now, I believe that the same power that rose Christ from the dead is in me. I'm just telling you, I've been in some places where I had no other choice but believe that. Y'all have heard me talk about it, and I hate to keep referring it, but like whenever you're the only one who speaks your language in a country and you're walking into a place where you know people are cursing you, you better believe that the righteousness of God is on you. And so you have to move and operate in those places if you want to move and operate in the things he did. Man, we're the hope to a dying world. We are. If I'm a joint heir with Christ, it don't mean I'm a joint but a little bit lesser. It means I'm joint. If I have a joint checking account, like I do with Jackson, it means if I wanted to go and liquidate his assets, I could. I won't, but I could. But I'm a joint heir with Christ. Same power. It's not like we got Happy Meal righteousness. It's not like Jesus got the Whopper and we got the cheeseburger. It's not like, I'm I'm, I'm just telling you. It's not like he got the wings and things and we got the things. We got the same meal as he did. We got the same thing he did. The problem is, is we can't believe that. We can't believe that we operate in the same things as Christ. We can't believe that we can do the same things as Christ because somewhere in the back of mind, that stupid flesh, that stupid devil, that stupid whatever's there tells us you can't do that. And it's just a little yeast that ruins it. It's just one bad apple ruins the barrel. Just that little bit of rot decays that faith because as soon as you believe you can't, you won't. What's that saying? Uh, Some people say it's Twain. Some say it was Ford. But if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. See, Jesus knew when he spoke the Father had his back. He said, I do nothing unless the Father has first shown me. Perfect example for those who's in my small group, we saw this play out. But Mary says, dude, you gonna do something about this wine? It ain't my time yet. Do whatever he says and walks off, right? And what, 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 Pastor talked about this a few weeks ago and said sometime between her saying do whatever he says and the time of him touching that water, he got with the father, And I think a lot of times we don't find the success in him being the Lord of our more, the Lord of our muchness, because we just move into something without consulting the Father. It's a good thing, the Lord, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. A good thing may not be a God thing. In his book, Jim Collins writes in the very very first line of the book, Good to Great, it says that good is the enemy of great. You need to catch that and feel that in your spirit. Because there's a lot of good things happening that God's not in. 
There's a lot of good things that are happening that are distractions to keep you from the God thing that he wants you to be in. How many good things do you have in your life and how many God things that you have in your life? Like how many things do you know that you know that you know is God? A lot of us spend a lot of time hoping that what we're doing is God's will. And it's not bad to hope. I mean, I've got an organization called Hope Like a Virus. But at some point, hope's got to become knowing. At some point, I can't just hope for glory. I got to embody glory. I got to believe glory's here. And so here, this is saying that if you want to do it, do it. Because if you ask for it in my name, I'm going to do it. And see, here's the great thing. He's standing there right by the Father. So whenever Lynn's saying, hey, I want to do something crazy with these like 9 to 14-year-olds, and I'm done. And he prays about it, and Jesus says, that's okay with you, right, Pops? Yeah, that's okay. Oh, let's go. It's going to happen. Maybe 23 years, but it's going to happen. And see, that's where we lose it because we don't operate in the fruit of the Spirit that says that we have to have long-suffering. Oh, I'm sorry, Patience. See, I say to anyone who will listen that my wife is the most patient person in the world because she's had 26 years of long suffering with me. It's the truth. If you married, you long suffering, I promise. And then the last one, miracle. Miracles are as unique as the need. See, when Peter walked down the street, you gotta catch this. It wasn't his shadow that healed anybody. So I'm walking down, and the shadow's falling, right? Well, the misconception would be that his shadow was healing something. The darkness can't heal anything. It was what Peter's shadow was overshadowed with that healed those people. Psalms 91, baby. I will hide myself in the shadows of the wing of the Almighty. In other words, that witness that Peter had, that witness that he had of Christ that, who was crucified and resurrected, that witness that he had overshadowed any shadow in those people's lives. As he's walking down the street and people are popping up and being healed, they can think whatever it is that healed them, healed them. But I'm telling you right now, it was the power, the Shekinah glory that was on him that healed those people. See, you can walk in a room and heal people and never say a word. You can go into a place of such darkness and all you got to do is just do like the song says. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because the light is not defined by the darkness. The darkness is defined by the absence of the light. So whenever you walk into a place, people will be healed. Well, that ain't what my mileage has been. That sounds like your faith issue, not my faith issue. Because you're not expecting them to be healed. I hate when people are called in to pray for somebody in the hospital. And they pray like this. Lord, according to your will, if it's your will, if you'll make it your will, if it could be your will, will you please heal them? But if not, let them have a peaceful transition. You better get up out of my hospital room. Don't pray for me if you're going to pray like that. Don't even come into the room if you're going to pray like that. Why? Because when Jesus saw unbelief, he said, you cats got to get out of here. 
Whenever he went to Jairus' home for his daughter and his daughter was dead, he spoke to the unbelievers and said, y'all need to go home. Leave me and the child alone. Leave me and the girl alone. Why? Because unbelief will destroy the faith in the room. We could all be in here just going and blowing and being in the spirit and it'd take one person and say, I don't know if that's theologically correct. Well, let me tell you what your theology can do against my experience. Because I can't unexperience what you've learned. But you can definitely unlearn what you experience. I'm going to say that for the folks who went to the same school I did in high school. You can't unexperience what you've experienced, but you can unlearn what you've, ex- but what you've learned. Experience can help you unlearn. In other words, I can be raised up thinking that life is this way and this way and this way, and then I get one instant with Jesus. I get one instant with Jesus and everything changes. When you walk into the room, I mean, that's all that's got to happen. All it had to happen was Jesus show up and everybody's definition changed. Everything changed. Because those cats thought Messiah was what? He was going to be a political leader who was going to overthrow Rome. And man, you had the zealots mad, you had the Romans mad, you had the Sadducees sad, you had the Pharisees being unfair. Like there was all kind of things going on. Because he came in, he was just like, oh, apple cart. And he just dumped it over. Or more adequately, he went into the temple, threw some tables and ch- chased out the money changers. And then he healed everybody. But what I'm saying is, Jesus changes the dynamic of every conversation. And if he doesn't, it ain't the same Jesus. You ain't talking about the Lord. You're talking about something else. You're talking about the hippie in the white nightgown and the blue sash. You're talking about something other than the Jesus I know. Because he's not, as Misty Edwards says, a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave, and he's, he's, not, stay, he's not staying in heaven forever. One day, he's going to come back as a victorious warrior king of kings. And he's going to redeem this earth. John 3, 16 and 17, we know it, right? The conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. He says that whoever believes won't perish but will have everlasting life. But the best part of that is he comes and he says, and he didn't send his son in the world to condemn it, but that it might be redeemed through him. So when Jesus comes back, he's coming to redeem us. He's coming to make everything back to equal. And so, is he the Lord of your motivation? Is he the Lord of your abundance or the Lord of your more? But is he the Lord of your miracles? And see, here's the thing. you got to realize a miracle looks different to everybody. Because when the woman needed money and the prophet came and said, hey, go ask your friends for all the jars that you can find so that we can fill them with oil. And she just kept pouring and 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 pouring. There was more oil that she needed and abundance that she was able to have money to do what she needed to do with. Miracles look different. Whenever you needed money to pay taxes and Peter went down, to the, went down and pulled a fish up out of, the, out of the water and, oh man, look, there's a coin. I got the money I need. Pouring and pouring and pouring. Well, miracles look different. 
Hey, he's, where were you? Had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Get your finger out of my chest, girl. Lazarus, come forth. Miracles look different for every single person. They're as unique as the need. And they're all driven not by my faith, but by your faith for your miracle. Your expectancy, your believing. What are you really believing God for? Because a lot of us want to believe, like Santa Claus comes down the chimney and gives us our gifts. That's the way a lot of us pray for miracles. This is on my want list. This is on my want list. You know, and we, we write these things that are genuine things that we in our life want to see God move in. But we don't ever believe really in that deep place that he's going to come through. I mean, I've had seasons praying for certain people in their seasons away, hoping, praying, but kind of like, they ain't never going to change. And then they show up at church. We're like, what you doing here? Oh, so-and-so invited me. Oh, man, that person's faith was greater than mine. I stopped believing for that. I'm sorry, is this too transparent? Is this too real? Because, I mean, we give up. We get impatient. 23 years. God spoke something to him. That's the picture of faithfulness. That's the picture of patience. And I'm sure there was a lot of times where he's like, man, this ain't never going to happen. Man, I must have missed this. Man, what are you... Man, did you just tell me that to frustrate me? Oh, y'all ain't been there. I'm sorry. Uh, Wait, you sent me over here to do this, and now you're yanking me out of this? Because that's my story. What, you brought me over here just to grow it so I can turn it over? Uh, oh, Oh, you did just bring me over here to grow it, to turn it. Oh, okay. My bad. I missed that. Because my wants get in the way. But if I, if I pray his will, right, our Father in, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will be done, your will be done. Not if it's your will, just make your will manifest. That's why if you walk in somebody's room and you start saying if, that means you doubt. If is, if is one of those statements that if you say if it's your will, then you doubt that it's his will. Which means that whenever it says by his stripes we're healed, you mean according to your will. But whenever I read it, it says by his stripes we are healed. The chastisement of his body were to heal our afflictions. So this miracle, well, what's the miracle I'm talking about? Because we're already talking about all these people getting healed. Well, that wasn't Peter's miracle. All Peter was doing was walking down the street. That was Abba, Papa, Knowing these people's heart to be healed, and as Peter walked down the street, the Holy Spirit that's on Peter is just meeting those people's desires. You feel what I'm saying? So what's the miracle that I'm talking about? Well, you talk about uh, um, in this last part, it says that an angel of the Lord shows up, frees them from prison, and says, get back to work. See, the miracles aren't always the things you ask for, but they're miracles nonetheless. Because God's not going to manifest a miracle in your life just because it's what you desire. It's also going to be for his purpose. 
So like whenever we get in here and we start talking about people getting healed, why? Because faith builds faith. They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So we've got to spit out what God is putting into us so that other people's faith can be encouraged. But we don't do that. Like God does something in our lives and we'll just sit there. Oh yeah. That's great for me. My four and no more. But what happens whenever you tell somebody the goodness of God? They start believing, well maybe I can have that too. And that's where the God of the, the, the Lord of your miracles starts coming in. Because here he is, Peter's in jail. There's no record there. He prayed and wanted to get, I mean, they were just kind of there. And the angel says, no, Jack, you got to get out of here because I got something for you to do. See, a miracle will manifest in your life just to get you back in purpose. A miracle will manifest in your life to get you back in your purpose. Because you don't actually know what it is you need until you get what you need sometimes. Sometimes we pray for things that we think we need, and God's like, you don't need that. You need this. You know, sometimes we pray for that person we think we need, and God's like, you don't need that. You need this. Sometimes we pray for, for, for some kind of a position or a job that we, I, oh, God, I need this job. You don't need that. You need this. And so Psalms 23, 5 and 6, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me, pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. See, here's Peter. He's in the shadow of death. He's in jail and they mad. He's in the shadow of death. And here's God preparing a table for him in the presence of his enemies and his cup is overflowing. When your cup overflows, you don't even ask, you don't even have to ask God sometimes for the miracles that's gonna manifest. You know, I, I, I like to use this analogy, but like I kind of imagine, because we know we always use oil and wine and those things to talk about the Holy Spirit, right? So here's Peter. He's literally got a drip on, okay? Like he, because he's just been in the upper room and here he comes out and he's walking down the street and what's on him is overshadowing his shadow. And I just picture it in the spirit. He is just dripping from head to toe in oil. And as he's walking down the street, he's just slinging that oil everywhere he goes as he's walking down the street. And everything that it gets on starts getting restored, gets starting to get healed, starts getting, and look, I, I know that this, that for some of y'all, this may be a stretch, but whenever I read that my cup is overflowing in the presence of my enemies, that he prepares a feast, a table for me in the presence of my enemies, then I have to know that whatever is on me has got to be so much stronger than what's out there. My belief that's inside of me, that he is with me and that he never leaves me and that he never forsakes me has got to be so much more because the only thing I can have confidence in is the Lord. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. That's how the book of Lamentations 
That's the weeping prophet Jeremiah writing about something. It's not just a really cool song we sing on Sundays, okay? That is something that comes out of Lamentations where he's saying, I'm in a place of despair. I'm in a place of hopelessness. I'm in a place where everything is falling apart, where mothers are boiling their children so that they can survive and their babies die. And I'm in a place where our city is under siege. I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. I need you to move something else again in my life. See, I have no confidence except in you, Lord. And I'm sorry if I'm a little jacked up about this, but I've watched as he's moved mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain in my life whenever I had no faith. That's the reason why he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. What miracle are you believing for in your life that you desperately need? Because your miracle doesn't look like my miracle. Your miracle may look like the restoration of your family. Your miracle may be that that addict loved one gets clean. Your miracle may be that you just find a connection with somebody that can lead you a little bit closer to God because you haven't found that in all the years on your earth. I'm just telling you, miracles look different. But they're not, no less powerful depending on who you are. You need healing? The same righteousness that's on God is in you. Believe for your healing. Don't have that faith? Find somebody who can build that faith in you. Seriously. Because you can be mentored in money. You can be mentored in being a better parent, a better husband, a better wife. You can be mentored in having better faith. Because faith begets faith. Faith will birth faith. The easiest way to have your faith build is have God do something in your life. And then you're like, oh, well maybe I should try that again on something else. Oh, and then next, then, then it's not try. It doesn't become the substance of the things that you're hoping for. It's evidence of things not seen. See, it's a maturation process. Not hope for is evidence. Evidence is something that's brought up in a trial to prove something. My faith is the evidence of the things I don't see. It's not, the, it's, not, it's not just the hope for. It's the proof. It's the thing I build my testimony on. My faith is the evidence of the things that I don't see. In other words, whenever I'm believing for my loved one to come back for Christ... I am believing for the evidence of the things I don't see. Whenever I'm believing for a better job, it's the evidence of the things I don't see. Whenever I'm believing that my husband or my wife is gonna get into a better relationship with Christ, it's the evidence of the things I don't see. Whenever I'm looking into my future young person and I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I don't know who I'm supposed to marry and I don't know where I'm supposed to go to college, it's the evidence of the things I don't see because you have to have faith that God has got you. And if you don't know that, beloved, God's got you right here, right here. And just because you don't realize you're in the palm of, the, of his hand don't mean that you're not in the palm of his hand. Just because you don't accept that you're in the palm of his hand doesn't mean that you're not in the palm of his hand. Because I guarantee you, microorganisms have no idea where they're at except for right where they are. And whenever you zoom out that microorganisms on your hand, 
or that microorganism's on your shoe, or that might, you, you feel what I'm saying? And my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do, right? He's so big. He is so big that we all fit right there in the palm of his hands because to him we're microorganisms. That's how big he is. Like Canis Major, right? The big dog. The largest star that has been discovered, right? It's something like 200 times the size of the Earth's rotation around the sun. Two hundred times the Earth's rotation around the Sun. That's how big the biggest star that they've ever found is. It's called Canis Major, the big dog. That's how big your God is, and it says that He breathed the stars into existence. So don't think He ain't got you. And don't think that there's too pro- to a problem that's too big that you can't expect, believe, and receive your miracle for. This is not a prosperity message. This is an activation message. Man, today is the day of Pentecost. Do you realize that? Like today is the day that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit hit. This is when we celebrate it. 50 days after Jesus ascended, that he brought the Holy Spirit. I want you to catch this, okay? Because 50 is also the number of Jubilee, the former name of this place. Jubilee. In other words, the time of celebration, the time of the outpouring, the time of the reset, the time of the, come on, y'all gotta feel this. I can't be the only one feeling this. If you're ever gonna believe for a miracle, today is the day. If you're ever gonna believe for a breakthrough, today is the day. There is no ceiling, there is no roof. It's an open heaven to third heaven right now. God is waiting for you to say, I want my miracle. If you need a miracle, just reach up right now. I'm I'm telling you, like silly, but go ahead, Children's Church, reach up and pull down that miracle. Reach up and pull it down. Pull it into your spirit, pull it into your heart and believe for it. He's the God of miracles, too good to not believe, right? That's the wonder. We've got to get back to the place where we're looking for the signs and the wonders, the awe of God. Teaching is awesome, man. I want everybody to have foundational truths. It's cool, really, it is, it's rad. But if you don't have the signs and miracles, it's for naught. If you don't have that because all you have, you have a savior, you don't have a Lord. Plenty of people in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. I operated for a long time with a savior and didn't have a Lord. And there's still areas as I dig deeper that I realize, oh Lord, I gotta make you Lord of that. I gotta work on that one. Me and you, Jesus, we, 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 you want to have to help me break this understanding and just get into your revelation. That's the other thing. Your revelation will jack up, uh, your understanding will jack up your revelation, and your revelation will jack up your understanding. Because the things that you thought that you knew the whole time, wrong. I mean, you don't believe me? For a long time, they thought the earth was the center and everything rotated around it. Boy, they got that messed up, didn't they? I mean, likewise, there's some people that think that everything revolves around them. No, that ain't the way it works either. So we've got to get to the place 
where we will believe for the ridiculous and really like for real, for real believe. Like not just pretend like we believe, but like really believe. Like, Lord, your will is for me to do this nightlife. I'm just going to do it in faith and believe that you're going to come through. I'm going to plan. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be patient. But now's the time. You're telling me now's the time. I'm believing now's the time. God's got you back. What is it he's calling you to do? I mean, God's called me into crazy seasons where I had to believe that he was with it. That he was with it. And here's the thing. Whenever I stopped believing, I became Peter on the water. Jesus was still there. He was still in it, but I started to sink. And a lot of us, we do that. We have the faith to take that first step. Uh-oh, here we go. Everybody just go ahead and pull your feet back up underneath you here for a second, okay? A lot of us have first step faith. Not a whole lot of us have got that take off running across the water toward Jesus' faith. I, I, you tell me, to, and he even says that, right? If it's you, call me to you. If it's really you, call me. Because that first step, <laughs> look what I did. Whoa. You turn around, look at your boys, tell them what you did, and next thing you know, you're underwater. Keep your eyes on Jesus and believe for the miracle you need in your life. Because see, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, every step you take, your shepherd's there. And when you get there, he prepares a table. Now, it's, this, this is talking about the, the place where sheep go to eat. They take them up to a plateau. That's called a table. Wolves and coyotes can be all around that plateau. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, you take me to a place that you've prepared for me to graze, and my enemies are all beneath me, and you can see them on all sides. See, your enemies aren't like this in the, see, that's the way we look, though I was in the valley of the shadow of death, right? But he changes topography. He says, you were in the valley, now I'm gonna take you up to a table in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies are all around you, but guess what? The enemy is under your feet. The enemy is under your feet. So whenever I'm up on that table, that plateau, my enemies are beneath me, and my Savior, my shepherd, my, my Lord has got me on all sides. And then that's where my cup overflows. Where? In his presence. In his presence, I'm safe. Doesn't matter about their presence. Oh, yeah, I thought it was good too. See, stop focusing on the wrong presence in your life. We get so focused on all the enemies that we don't realize the shepherd's there. Man, I'm just going to be real with you. There's been so many, the Holy Spirit's giving me so much stuff, he's just like kicking me right now. It's like, that's for you, stupid. Because I get so focused on the presence of my enemies that I forget that I'm in the presence of my shepherd. Do you know why his rod and his staff, they comfort me? Because he'll beat the mess out of anything that comes around me with that rod. He don't use that rod on me much. 
much more lately. Um, if you felt the back of this head, you'd feel so many knots. I always wondered why Granny called me knothead, and now I understand because I've taken a couple of hits from that rod that's left some marks that make me remember, oh, don't do that again. But if I get focused on his presence, whenever I'm up on the table, the rod's not about me. The rod is what he's protecting me with. The staff isn't what he hits me with. The staff is what he saves me with. Because whenever I wander off the table, he reaches down with the crook of it and he pulls me back up. It's not until like the third or fourth time that he breaks my legs and put me up on his shoulders. For real. His rod and his staff, they comfort me whenever I'm up on the table. It doesn't matter about the presence of my enemies. It matters about his presence. And the miracle is, is that my cup overflows. Why? Because I'm supposed to serve out of my abundance and not my need. Is he the Lord of your strength? What is your strength? What is your strength? Because we put our strength in a bunch of different things. Man, as long as the checkbook's right, I got my strength. Man, as long as my kids aren't going crazy, I got my strength. Man, as long as the wife and I are having harmonious covenant relationship, I'm good. No. See, because he said it. Jesus said it. And he didn't say if. He said, you will do this and greater works. See, the reason why our cup has to overflow because we have to operate out of an abundance because our capacity is not enough. Our capacity is not enough. Think about it. You'll never make enough money to do everything God tells you to do. Never. Mr. Bezos, you will never make enough money to do what God really wants you to do in the earth. Elon Musk, even if you buy Twitter, you will never make enough money to do what God wants you to do in the earth. Because every time you think you've done enough, he says, I'm the God of more. I'm the God of more than enough. My God is more than enough. Right? He provides all my needs. He is my El Shaddai. Takes care of me. Jehovah Jireh. You are my God. Right? I mean, think about it. If he's not your Lord of enough and more than enough, he'll never be your God of enough. You'll always be dissatisfied. And so activate and apply this. First, you need to be properly motivated. Why do you want God to bless you with resources? Why do you want God to financially bless you? Why do you want God to bless you with favor? Why do you want God to bless you with influence? Why do you want, because I must love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my strength. And if it's properly translated with every fiber of my being and my muchness. I have to be motivated because I need my heart to break for the things that breaks his heart. I've got to be motivated that whenever I see someone in need, I don't ever have to think about what I have. I just go ahead and give. You know, I was sitting there earlier and 
Those of you who know me, restraint is one of my things that I operate in so well. But I had to throttle back a little bit. Because while they're singing, your love is extravagant, all I wanted to do was jump up here, grab the mic, and start talking about the extravagance, the absurdity, the, just the overwhelming more that extravagant actually means. See, it was such a great song to close out the worship set for because what it is, you could sing it, your love is your muchness. That's what it's about is the muchness of God. That's a new word. There's two new words today for you, Larry. Muchness. It's the muchness of God. It's that overwhelming abundance and extravagance that you can flow in. Spiritually, hey, that warm, fuzzy feeling is just scratching the surface of Holy Spirit. That tongue that you pray in is just scratching the surface of Holy Spirit. That, that, that word of knowledge that you operate in is just scratching the surface of Holy Spirit. That word of interpretation you get sometimes when everything gets quiet, that's just scratching the surface of his abundance. Because so far, in my experience, I've only seen the things Jesus has done, personally, limited. I've seen people get healed. I mean, we got a walking testimony of healing right over here, too. I'm right there, bam. So we see people get healed. We see prodigals come home. I hear stories of the dead being raised. Like Reinhard Bonnke's got one that's just crazy. Dude was like embalmed and everything in like five days and came back to life. Like, for real. But of course, you know, that happened in Africa and we can't believe that way. Can't. They don't have moder- a lot of modern medicine in those villages, so they just believe God. And we believe doctors. And if you're a doctor, no shade, no shade. I'm just saying, like, we believe y'all's report a lot more than the Lord's. Because whenever he says, I'm healed, I'm healed. We need to be properly motivated. In other words, I can't do things for false heirs. I can't do things so that, you know, Paul thinks I'm a great guy. I mean, I am a great guy, but I'm just saying I can't do it for him to think that. Because I don't, at the end of the day, sorry, don't care what he thinks. I care what God thinks. You know, one of my sayings is that I don't care if you care that I care. I don't. I only care that he cares. Because at the, at the end of this whole path that we're all on, it all ends the same. And as long as he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yoo-hoo! But let me save you from something, okay? Jesus came to save sinners. Remember, I told you I'm only preaching one message now. The message is Jesus. His covenant is love. And you don't get to the miracles, you don't get to the more, you don't get to your strength. He doesn't become Lord of your strength until he becomes Lord of your life. And you have to make sure, first of all, that you're properly motivated. You need to make sure that you're operating in the muchness of God.
In other words, I'm tired of just getting by. I'm tired of just watching a church sit with his hands tied behind his back, talking about a lot of stuff and doing nothing. And I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the big church. I want to be the hands and feet of Christ. I mean, I've got it on my arm. Here I am, God, send me to the world. I mean it. I want to be the hands and feet of Christ in every situation. And I can't do that out of my own. I've got to do it out of his abundance in my life. I've got to do it in a place that my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over so that whenever I come into an encounter with somebody who has, who has a need for what I have, I can pour it into them without having to hold something back from me. See, so many of us want to be a reservoir when we're supposed to be a conduit. Man, God has made me this big old pipe. And I'm not supposed to hold on to anything and say, oh, this is a good word for somebody. Some of y'all feel dry and empty. A pipe only realizes a need whenever it has a, whenever there's a lack in it. So what I'm saying is, is if my pipe is constantly full and there's a constant stream going through there, I'm not going to realize whether it's full or empty because full and empty feels like the exact same thing. It's only whenever there's a depreciation in the level that I realize, oh, I got to get filled back up. Some of y'all are walking around full thinking that you're dry as all get out. I'm going to say this a little louder. Because some of you think you're dry and you're full as all get out. In other words, God has you full to overflowing, but you don't realize it. Because you've never accepted the identity of being a child of God who can be full of the Holy Spirit to overflowing. You've always seen yourself in a poverty mindset. You've always seen yourself as a pauper and not a prince or a princess. And somebody has built that image in you that needs to be destroyed. He's good. All the way around. From the top to the bottom and all sides. He's good. He's good. And he gives good gifts. And some of you, hmm, y'all need to shake off the identity that religion's birthed on you. Telling you that you're never going to be good enough. You already are. You already are. And when your motivation gets right and you start operating in the muchness, you can be expectant for miracles. And I tell you, there's some people here that need some miracles. And I think, hmm. some of you need the, the miracle of receiving your correct identity as a son or daughter. Uh, that, is, that is like staying so loud in my head right now that there's some people here who have no idea who you are to God because either your earthly mother or father didn't give you an identity imprinted on you or 
you have a spouse that's given you the wrong identity imprinted on you. Or you have a society that's giving you the wrong identity. And I'm not talking about gender identity issues, okay? I think that's a root of some of this. But what I'm talking about is that some of you need to receive sonship. Some of you need to receive that you're a daughter to the uncreated Most High God. That you are a daughter of Zion. That you are an oak of righteousness. You've got to walk in that and believe it before that you can be properly motivated. Before you can operate in the overflow. And before you can expect miracles. And I I really feel like there's some people here that your identity to Him needs to be defined today. Because if He's going to be the Lord of your strength, He's Lord of all. Or he ain't Lord at all. That means, hmm. It means that uh, that confession you keep telling yourself, you need to change it. The worst lies that we believe are the ones we tell ourselves. The message is Jesus, his covenant is love. And he wants to establish like a real covenant with you as a son and as a daughter. Like a real. Parents, you know what that looks like. And if you don't, and that's all jacked up for you, ask God to give you a revelation of what that looks like. Because I can tell you right now, this morning I got a phone call. I was preparing to get here. And there was a situation at my mom's. Because she was going with them up to Troy. And my baby girl was on the phone crying to me. And I said, do you need me to drop everything I'm doing and come to you right now? Because I will. No, daddy, I'm going to be okay. Okay, because I will put the rest of the world on hold. And I'll be there. If you need me. No, daddy, I just needed to hear your voice. Do you know what that does to me to know that my daughter can just hear my voice and it brings peace? Daughter, you may need to hear your father's voice speaking to you today. Son, you may need to be encouraged by your father's voice this morning. He loves you. He hasn't cast you aside. He doesn't look at your mistakes. He's not looking at your shame. Yeah, he's your savior. But he wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your strength. In other words, he wants to be the Lord of those things that you don't think he wants. Because see, it's not just about our resources. It's not just about our finances. It's not just about our time, our talents, and our treasures. It's also about every screw up. He wants to be the Lord of that too you're not hiding it from him anyway and he wants it because whenever he says he wants all of you he wants all of you the good, the bad and the downright ugly and if you looked inside of me there's a lot of downright ugly especially Monday through Friday 8 to 5 but what are you living for? Because your life is worship. 
And you need to get motivated to operate in the more. Because we always talk about miracles. We talk about miracles all the time. We need to start operating in miracles.